Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence by the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. So if you come up here, Patrick, I'd love to pray for you. Lord, um, we're gathering here grateful um, for your grace and just eager to hear of your grace from your word as our brother, your servant Patrick, gets up to speak. Um, thank you for the ways that you're using him, Lord, um, at the seminary to, to train and equip um, future leaders, but in, in churches, um, his church, um, Emmaus, back in Kansas City, um, his, just, his churches um, that he's able to impact around the world. Um, think, we're thankful for his writings, and um, it, it's, it's already encouraged me and helped me so much. But Lord, um, speak through our brother, we pray now. Um, just give us open, receptive hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kevin. So good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I thought he was going to tell a bunch of embarrassing stories about me in high school, um, but he was kind. I have the worst memory, so I don't remember those stories, so you could have told me. I would have been just as shocked as you at all the things I did. Um, but it, it is so good to be with you. I don't, I don't know if Kevin doesn't want to talk about politics, so he had me over here to talk about politics, but <laughs> here we go. This is your secret message. I'm just kidding. <laughs> If you do have a Bible, open to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind us as we're going through this. But this morning, I want to begin by telling a story. We're going to step back in time. Uh, the year was 1944, and the place was Germany. World War II had now lasted for five years. And earlier in the war the German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer had got on the radio and he had denounced Adolf Hitler publicly. The broadcast was actually shut off before he could finish. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his freedom to lecture and to publish after that. But in 1944, Bonhoeffer decided to do more. He decided to not only get on the radio, but he partnered with high-ranking German officials who decided that they need to take things into their own hands. It was time. They placed a bomb in a briefcase at a meeting where Hitler was supposed to be later that day, and the bomb went off. Hitler was wounded, but he lived. He actually suffered temporary paralysis of one arm. Bonhoeffer was sent to a prisoner of war camp for these actions, for being involved in this. And on April 9th, 1945, about a year later, the year actually the war ended, Bonhoeffer was hanged for defying Hitler. What you might not know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer was that he was a committed pacifist. He believed that you should never go to war and there should never be violence. It was almost always unjustifiable. He also believed that the government had a necessary and noble task. The government was to preserve the order and goodness of God's world. But Bonhoeffer found himself in a situation that was unique. 
And maybe you feel like you find yourself in situations consistently in relation, relation to governing authorities that are unique as well. Was he to obey this government? That's what the scriptures say. Was he to submit to them? Or was he to challenge them? Was he to subvert them? Was he to go against them? If you look across the scriptures, you see both things. And what's difficult is to know when to do what? What are we supposed to do? We don't live during World War II. It seems much easier looking back on World War II. What were you supposed to do? But I'm sure living in the midst of it, it was hard to know what to do. We live in a new time where we're constantly faced with similar questions, even though it is a different time. Should we submit to government regulations? Maybe the easy answer, especially based on our text, is yes. But what about government regulations concerning health? What about government regulations concerning sexuality? What about government regulations concerning religion? What about those things that make us uncomfortable, that go against our core beliefs? What are we supposed to do then? Should we defy them when it goes against our beliefs? How should we defy them? What, What does that even look like? How are we as Christians to respond to our governing authorities? Well, this moment, this morning, we're going to look at the Bible and see what it has to say about God and the government, about God and the government. We're going to talk about politics, and I recognize if we're going to talk about politics, I might offend a few people, because politics are divisive. But what I don't think we realize always is that the scriptures have a lot to say about how we are to engage in politics. Often we we come to the Bible and we think, oh, this is a great religious document. It's for our spiritual life. It's for this Sunday morning thing. It's for us to open and we sing about it. But then we go into the public sphere, and the public sphere is different than the private sphere. So we have these two categories in our life. We have the public reality, and then we have the private reality. But if you look at the scriptures, that division just did not exist in Jesus' day. And I would argue even in our day, it's impossible to act in that way. Yes, there's a public sphere. Yes, there's a private sphere. But ultimately, they're going to interact. It's more complex than that. Well, you might only think of Jesus as a religious figure. He was crucified by Rome as a rebel of the state. He was a political figure. There was no such thing back then as a religious figure and then a political figure. They viewed it as one and the same. A religious figure was a political figure. Our faith, I would argue, is political to the core. Eugene Peterson, the author, said it this way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one guesses. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one guesses. So this morning, we're going to look at Peter's words to those in Asia Minor, where he's instructing them, how do you interact with governing authorities? What are you to do in bad situations and good situations? How are you to interact with them? What does this look like? And this is a real and practical question for all of us. We do this week in, week out, and the election's coming up. So you're probably thinking about this. How are we to engage? So 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Let me just read that text again, even though Kevin read it. This is what Peter says to those in Asia Minor. He says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. 
whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take two passes through this text. I'm going to go through it once, and we're going to go through it twice. And don't worry, I'm going to try to make them brief. So we're not going to do two sermons, but we're going to do two passes through the text and show you two basic points that seem like they're in tension, but they actually work together. The two points are this. First, Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. And then second, Christians are called to not rely, or we could even say they are called to subvert governing authorities. So it seems like those go against one another, but what I want to show you is they actually don't. So let's look at these in orders. First, Peter tells us to submit to governing authorities. You can see that in 2, 13 through 14, where Peter says, Submit to every, it's a command to begin, submit to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. To submit means to voluntarily yield to the authority of another. Peter is acknowledging that we exist under other authorities, and he's identifying governing authorities as those other authorities over us. And notice what he says. He doesn't say just do that to the emperor, but do it to governors. Do it to top and low. Do it to everyone. In other words, I think what he's doing is he's saying to everyone in between, you submit to anyone who's in authority over you in this realm, both to emperors and to governors. This means we submit to our president, to our vice president, and to your local representatives, your governors, your senators, your commissioners, your mayors. You submit to your governing authorities in whole, to all of them. It's not like Peter is allowing us to say, well, I'm going to submit to that one, but not that one. No, he's saying submit to your governing authorities, both to the emperor, the highest one, and to governors, those at the local level. And some of these leaders, if you know their names, might make you a little uncomfortable. Like, hey, I didn't vote for them. I'm not very excited about what they're doing. Don't you know what they did during COVID? Don't you know their views on sexuality? Haven't you seen their policies? I I work in a business. They're destroying me right now. How am I supposed to submit to them right now when they're destroying my livelihood and, and what I think is good for society? Haven't you seen the mess that they created? Haven't you seen some of them can't even stay awake on camera? I shouldn't have said that, but... But we have to remember the context that Peter speaks to here. He writes to those in Asia Minor who live under the rule of Rome. While we might have a tendency to complain about our governing authorities, I think it's fair to say Rome was way worse. Was way worse. We know how Rome treated those who went against their will. And this is to whom Peter is writing to. 
I don't want to get too gory here, but their methods of execution were awful. If you defied the state, you might be sewed inside an animal alive. You might be buried alive. You might be, as we know, crucified. To go against the state meant you might be killed. So we might have qualms about our governing authorities. But if you want a get-out-of-jail-free card and say, well, our government is terrible, so I don't have to do this. Peter's writing to those living under the rule of Rome. It was way worse. And he says to them, submit. Submit to these governing authorities. And what did Rome do? Rome killed Peter's savior. Rome beheaded Paul, according to tradition. And according to tradition, Peter was hung upside down by Rome. So notice who's speaking these words. This is Peter, who who will later be killed by these governing authorities. And he says, submit. Submit to them. So, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing? How are we doing? Would your neighbors, would your family members, would your friends, would they characterize you as submissive citizens? Would those watching your social media feed say, that's a submissive person? Are governing officials happy to have you as their citizens? But Peter goes even further. He says in verses 14 through 15 that we are to do good. Not just submit to them, but do good. So notice what he says. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. By doing good, I'm not sure he means private acts of purity. And what I mean by that is you pray, you read your scriptures, you you go by yourself and do good. I think what he's talking about here is public deeds that would be recognized by the larger society. Martin Luther, he has a way with words. This is what he said. Christians are like manure. When they are gathered all in one place, they stink. But when they spread out, they do some good. What Luther is not saying is that it's wrong to gather together as Christians. You're gathered here. That's good, right? You're supposed to come to church. But that Christians have a tendency to cloister together and to ignore the world. But Peter says Christians should be characterized by those who do public good. We are not only to submit, but to be exemplary citizens in the society that we live in. So again, I've got to ask, how are we doing? And I ask myself this all the time. How are we doing? As the body of Christ, let's be for our neighborhoods, for our schools, for our local parks, for our swim teams, for our softball leagues. Go to events, get to know people, serve, participate in politics, government, arts, agriculture, sports, business, whatever it is that you're interested in. Think about the ways that you can make your area more just and safe and humane. Peter says, don't only submit, but do good. Do good. I was challenged in studying this as to whether anyone in our community would notice if our family left. Maybe you should ask yourself that question too in your neighborhood. Would anyone notice if you left? Are you doing good to the area that you live in? 
What about this church? Would the area around here know if this church shut its doors? Are you doing good to those around you? As the Lord gives you opportunity. Finally, in verse 17, Peter says to honor the emperor. We are to submit to do good and to honor. Maybe people rec- or Peter recognized that you can submit, but there's a tendency maybe to submit begrudgingly. Say, fine, I'll submit. I hate this, but I'll do it because I don't like you. And Peter says, no, let's raise the bar even more. You need to honor them. You need to honor them. To honor means to give special recognition, to show respect. And so how do we honor people? We compliment them. We treat them with respect. We are patient with them. We ask questions before we accuse. We seek to understand before we condemn. We overlook mistakes. We forgive. Usually when you hear about this, you think about, we need to do that to people in the church. But we need to honor those outside of the church too. So again, social media feed, how you interact with governing authorities, how you speak about them in private with other people. Are you honoring them? I think this is a challenge for the church right now. We might feel a little under attack. And what do you do when you get fearful? Typically, you lash back out. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to bury that fear. I recognize that's real. But at the same time, we want to be people of the book. And the book says, honor them. Speak well of them. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them on everything. But you need to do that in a respectful way if you disagree. And as Christians, we can be different than the world in this way. Isn't this part of our witness? We need to lead by example here. We need to challenge one another. It's pretty easy to change the course of a conversation by simply saying something that honors a governing official rather than cutting them down. Let's stand, at, let's stand out from the crowd in this way. Let's not follow maybe cable news in this way. Cable news is there to whip you into a fervor about some issue. But really, they're discipling you in fear, and they're discipling you in anger. And that's, that's not helpful. As Christians, we, we don't want to act that way. We want to submit. We want to do good. And we want to honor Why do we do these things, though? Why do we do these things? We've seen the three things that Christians are called to do, submit, do good, and honor. But Peter also gives at least two reasons why we do these things. He says we are to do this because God has appointed them to promote order. Look at verses 2, 13 through 14. He says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. These rulers punish those who do evil and praise those who do what is good. So when he says because of the Lord, it's likely the same thing that Paul says in Romans 13. We are to submit to them because no authority exists outside of God's will. God has appointed them, and God has appointed them to do good. God uses these authorities in our society to promote order and to promote peace. Let me say this very clearly. An institution does not have to be a Christian institution to do good. 
An institution doesn't have to be a Christian institution to do good. God blesses the world consistently through non-Christian institutions. He does so through families, through schools, through businesses, and the list could go on and on and on. You actually know that's true. We just have to state the obvious. We should be the first to joyfully support such things for the benefit of all humanity. In light of the frustration with our political parties, some Christians like to only critique America or critique our governing authorities. However, what you fail to recognize is you often do this as you sit in a comfortable chair, as you have air conditioning, as you have lights on overhead, as you drive your car and you're not robbed along the way, as you go through lights that are functioning and working, and why do all those things happen? Because someone has sacrificed their life in terms of their job to serve society and make these things run and work. I'm not saying there's not ever a place to critique, but remember the benefits that we have. You are worshiping here because governing authorities have said, it's okay to worship. And I think they're recognizing our God-given right to worship. But the lights are on because someone got up in the morning and they made sure the grid was running. I don't even know how it all works. And I'm guessing very few people do in here. But something is happening here, right? And someone's doing their job. And that's a good thing, and we should support. And, and if you work in the government, thank you. Thank you. You are serving society. We should be thankful for these things. So while it's popular to only see chaos in American politics, oh, I hate talking about politics, it's terrible. It's misguided not to recognize the government's regulatory function. They are here for our good. We benefit from this every minute of our lives. A government is better than no government. And if you've traveled around the world, you know that's the case. If you travel, you can see, you go to places where the government is not functioning well, and you're like, why is nothing working? Because no one's working to make it work. If you've ever traveled and you've been like, I can't wait to get back home, that's because people are doing things And that's good. We are blessed in so many ways, aren't we? Order is much better than anarchy. So Peter says, submit, because God appointed them. And God appointed them for good. Second, we are to do this because it's part of our witness. Look at 2.15. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Typically, we think of our witness as simply sharing the good news of Jesus with our mouths. And yes, it's certainly that. And it's not less than that, but we must adorn the message with public actions too. Tim Keller once mentioned, when the world sees Christians only evangelizing, they only see us increasing our tribe, increasing our market share, increasing our power. But that is what the world does. Now that's not true when we share the gospel. That's not what we're trying to do. But without the Holy Spirit, that's what the world sees. But if they see us evangelizing and caring for the poor and promoting racial racial justice, and seeking the betterment of our communities, then the preaching of the gospel comes with power. Isn't that what we see in Acts? They preach the gospel, and all these people are saved, and then suddenly they're caring for their poor, and they're giving up their possessions, and the, the world is watching, and they're like, what is up with these people? I want to be a part of that. Why are they doing these things? We don't understand these people. And so Peter says, Don't just speak about your faith, but do good. That's part of your witness so that people might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
We are to submit. We are to do good and we are to honor the emperor. That's past one. Now we're going to go back through the text. We have to read the text again and see something else that might seem like it goes against what I just said, but it actually doesn't. While we are to submit and to do good and honor, we are not to rely upon them. We are not to give them ultimate loyalty. There are times where we have to say no and no further. We are to subvert them as Bonhoeffer did. Bonhoeffer was for the government, but there is a point where he said no longer. I can't go any further. They are servants of God, but we must obey the king of kings above the kings of the earth. Two points show this in our text. First, Peter says governing authorities are only creatures. This is hard to see in our English text, but in 2.13 it says submit to every human, human authority. And in Greek, that's creaturely authority, created authority. While this might not seem like a big deal, we need to remember that Roman emperors were deified. They were worshipped and called gods during that time. The coins that Jews used daily had a bust of Caesar and it said he was the son of God. And Peter says, they're only created beings. They are not God. Submit to them, but remember who they are. Now, we're tempted to think, oh, that was Rome. That's not, we, we don't think like that. But next time you walk into the U.S. Capitol, look up. If you go to Washington, D.C., above you is a painting called the Apotheosis of George Washington. Apotheosis is a Greek term meaning the elevation of someone to a divine status. That's literally the title of the painting. In the painting, Washington sits enthroned above every other name. All, he's bringing order to all these different things. Maybe we're not that different than Rome. They had their coins, we have our paintings. Peter, by calling them created authorities, knocks them down to size. We submit to them, but we don't worship them. We don't become feverishly excited about them. We don't hang on their every word. We don't think all things are ending when our candidate is not elected. Psalm 146, 3 through 5 is worth quoting here. The scriptures say, don't trust in princes. In other words, don't trust in governing authorities. In the son of man who cannot save, don't trust in creatures. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He executes justice for the exploited. Wait, notice what he's doing. Princes, are they going to execute justice for the exploited? No, the God of Jacob will execute justice for the exploited. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. In other words, not them. The Lord reigns forever. Governing authorities are not ultimate. They are creatures that God has appointed. 
They will not establish justice. They will not help the fatherless and the widow. They will not frustrate the way of the wicked in an ultimate sense. They can't do that because they don't have the power to do that. Earthly kingdoms will come and go. Only God's kingdom will endure forever and bring true justice. So we don't worship them. They're created authorities. But we're tempted to think they will. Oh, if we could just get the right guy or gal in there, everything will change. Everything will be better. That one party, that one person is going to ruin us. Only God can bring this. They're only creatures. Second, we don't rely on them because we are free. We have a higher loyalty. We see this in verse 16. Notice what he says. Submit as what? Free people. Free people. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. In Matthew 17, Peter comes to Jesus and asks if they should pay the temple tax. Jesus asked Peter, do the kings tax their sons? And Peter rightly replies, no, they tax their citizens, not their sons. (laughs) They're not taxing their own family members. And Jesus says, the sons are free. You are sons of the kingdom. But he says, to give no offense, go and pay it. And he provides a coin for them. What is Jesus saying? He says, you are sons of the kingdom, and I'm the king. You're free. Guess what? You don't have to pay taxes. But that's actually not what he says later on, right? He says, you do need to pay taxes, but you do so as free people. That's what Peter's getting at. You do it out of your freedom. We don't submit to them. We don't pay taxes because they're so great. Not because they say to pay taxes. Not even because there's laws that say we should pay taxes. We submit to them and we pay taxes because God says so. We are free. Now, If you said that to a governing authority, they might feel a little uncomfortable, right? Wait, you're not paying me because I'm telling you to? No. mm -mm. I'm paying you because God's telling me to pay you. We're free. Then in verse 17, Peter presses this in even more. He says, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. You might think, well, that's not subversive, but look closer. In a time where the emperor required the most honor, Peter says, honor the emperor and... Treat them like everybody else. Honor all. Honor everyone. Notice what Peter has done. He just flattened the status pyramid of the Roman world. He says to treat the slave that you meet on the streets the same way you treat the emperor. Honor them both. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Not only that, but Peter has reserved a special place for God and God's people in the middle. This is kind of like an A, B, B, A structure to this verse 17. What does that mean? Honor, honor, and then love and fear God. So in the middle, he says, reserve a special place in your heart for God and his people. Love and fear. Honor everyone, but love and fear are reserved for God and for his people. We never yield to the government that which has already been claimed by God. Let me say that again. We never yield to the government that which has already been claimed by God. That is why we have examples such as Daniel 
who defied the Babylonian Empire, Nathan, who critiqued and confronted Israel's king, John the Baptist, who spoke against King Herod's marriage, John the Apostle, who was exiled to the island of Patmos by Rome, and Bonhoeffer, who knew it was time to stop Hitler. But the application is not as easy as we think. This became clear when the government here told churches to shut down during COVID. We have two commands in the scripture. One is to meet together, and the second is to submit to the government. What do we do? And different Christians had different opinions about that, didn't they? That was tough. What do we do when we have two commands of Scripture that seem to go against one another? Some Christians responded that it was wrong for churches to close their doors, while others said, well, that was, that's part of the government's jurisdiction. I think there's room for disagreement here, but we can ask this question about the limits of their authority, not because we're Americans, but because we're Christians. Because we're Christians, we're free. We're sons of the king, sons of the kingdom. While we might have a tendency to shy away from politics because all the craziness that it includes, we just don't even want to talk about because people get so heated, I would argue we're actually not political enough. We're not political enough. As I said earlier, our faith is political to its core. If you understand that term rightly, Jesus made a political announcement. He declared himself to be king. Your series, his king, his, our king, his kingdom, right? Isn't that the tagline? Our king, his kingdom. That's a political statement, right? Our king, his kingdom. And Jesus invited people into his kingdom. And he requires your what? Your loyalty, your allegiance. First and foremost, above everything else. That includes other political parties. And he became the king of kings by doing something no other ruler has done. He accomplished what we could not. Rather than sending us out into battle on his behalf, which is what most kings do, what did he do? He said, I'm going to go into battle for you. I'm going to go into battle for you. I'm going to go into battle. I'm going to, I'm going to walk into the storm myself and sacrifice myself on your behalf. That's not what kings typically do. Kings wait at the back of the line and let their citizens go. Yep, protect me. Protect my kingdom. Go. And Jesus says, nope, I'm going on your behalf. And after he was crucified, he was raised from the dead and enthroned above every other rule and authority in heaven and on earth. And one day he will return to establish what? A new city where peace and justice reign forever. In one sense, can I say this? Christians all believe in monarchy, right? The monarchy of the king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself. That's what we ultimately believe in. That's the future. That's what we're waiting for. So Peter bases all these commands on the example and substitution of Jesus Christ. This is what he says earlier in the letter in 1 Peter 2, 20, 22 through 25. Jesus did not commit any sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Why is Peter talking about submitting to governing authorities? That's what Jesus did. He was standing as an innocent man before the Roman court and before the Jewish court and they were insulting him and they were smacking him and they were spitting on him and he had every right every right to lash back out at them. And he kept his mouth shut on our behalf. 
he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. This is all, we might do good so that we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You have one ruler, one shepherd, one king. To him alone your allegiance resides. So how are we to think about politics? In this text, we get a little snapshot of two things that seem to go against one another, but they actually come together. We submit and we subvert. We do this because we have a higher politic. Jesus is our king. To him, we owe ultimate allegiance. We obey because he says so, and we don't obey because he says so. This means you are not beholden to any political party or leader. You are not first an American. You are not first a Republican. You are not first a Democrat. You are first Christ. You are first a Christian. You kneel to him, to no political party. However, this doesn't mean you can't use partisanship as a tool to spread the order of God and to help us in the spread of the gospel. As Christians, we can be thankful for all that is good in America. We can be thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy that so many people are not able to enjoy. Our highest loyalty is to King Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily cancel out an appreciation and even what we could say a fidelity to the place where we live. That's okay. You can be thankful for what we have. However, we also recognize that no political party represents Christ's kingdom in full. And we subvert, we critique, we prophesy against those against both parties where necessary. We don't fit. We don't fit anywhere. <laughs> we fit in the kingdom of Christ. We lament the wickedness of both political parties. America is far from perfect. Something greater is coming, and this land is not our hope. So we are thankful, but it's tempered. We lament, but it's filled with hope. We do this recognizing Jesus is the King of Kings. Our main task is to witness to him. He is coming back. The government can remain in the meantime, and we can be thankful, but our destiny lies elsewhere. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that your word speaks to us in such practical ways, that it meets us where we are, and it points us to our true hope, our king and his kingdom. We pray that as we seek to live this out, that you would give us power by the Spirit to do so. We know we are weak and that we fail in so many ways, but you are kind, you are long-suffering, and your forgiveness knows no bounds. I recognize I failed in these ways, even in ways that I've spoken about this morning, but your forgiveness is for us. And so we pray that we would walk in righteousness because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.